Hello and welcome to Virtual Roundtables Live, the broadcast that brings business leaders together to discuss and debate the latest industry topics and trends. Now over to today's host. Now, we heard from Imran this morning, which was a brilliant panel, about the importance of transparency, and I love the phrase, from seed to supplement. I think that's definitely living the brand. But before... uh, uh, um, Imran comes up. Let me just uh, do a little introduction. So Amway operates in over 100 countries with uh, revenues of just under 9 billion. And it's interestingly the largest provider of direct-to-consumer products in health and wellness. So anybody with an interest in that, um, that's an extra bonus for this session. Recent results have been really strong. Um, if you check out their uh, the private, but they, they, they've done very well recently. And the CEO puts a lot down to what we're going to hear about today, which is um, the focus on the experience that Amway gives to its business owners, um, specifically in innovations, e-commerce, mobiles, and social selling. So we're going to hear from uh, Imran, who's considered uh, something of a leader in terms of how he partners with CIOs, how he's evolved the product experience, and how how he enables an organization that uh, does decision making at the edge. So here's to a great session and over to Imran. Thank you very much. Morning everyone again. So just to build off um, what was just shared is what I'm really going to really focus on in terms of sharing is um, when we talk about product experience but more talking about from a distributor and a customer experience. it's easy to call out that that's what we want to drive for and try to ensure that customers are there able to buy our products and then their expectations around the whole experience journey we can at least meet or exceed. And we in the marketing council we started to revisit what does that mean from a product brand perspective. So what I'm going to talk about today um, specifically is really on three parts. One is from a portfolio so we've got a, a wide breadth of assortment What does that mean from a design perspective? And I'll talk about that in a moment. How that builds then into, in terms of the whole innovation. And what does that mean from an innovation model, design, process, boring running the culture that we want. And then finally, I'll just very briefly touch on in terms of execution, excellence, something that I referred to. And the reason I touched that is really, when you talk about that distributor customer experience, the role that marketing has to play from a brand product, innovation, and ultimately that go-to-market execution. So really on an elevator sort of level, I just want to give a more a strategic snapshot of what work over the last 12 months have been doing and in my regional responsibility, how we're trying to bring this to life. And we are certain elements I'll be able to explain in more detail. Some we're still are sort of in that discovery phase, moving into that design phase. So when we talk about district customer experience, what does it mean for us in Amway? We really sort of took a step back and we really put the customer at the forefront. But we also said we need to ensure that the distributor piece is also a crucial part of that. We're the market leader, but what we want to ask ourselves is where do we really want to win? Is this an, uh, an element when we talk about the whole customer journey and the experience piece, something we want to uh, win in? And the answer was yes. It's not just about competing well, but we actually want to be leader in that space. Secondly for us was personalization. Now, at this point, um, what I want to refer to personalization meaning is that because obviously there's a whole emergence of digital. And with that, we also are on that strategy of driving digital transformation in Amway. But what we also realize through research is that the humanization piece, meaning 
somebody wants to buy a product, they may want to go to one of our shop locations, one may be doing it online, but they're also willing to have somebody sit with them and talk through their, let's say, supplement regime, talk about their, for example, makeup, cosmetic, sort of a party plan group. So what we wanted to make sure is that that personal touch is not there, is continuously there, because it's not going to be replaced by digital, it's just going to help us enhance and enable our business to be more successful. Obviously, if we're talking about an experience end-to-end, -end, it's got to be engaging. We want to make sure that the distributor force has that engagement with Amway right across the locations, but also then engaging directly with the customers. And that relationship is really what we want to build on. And of course, it's all about surprising, inciting and delighting the customer. So there's that excitement, wow factor that we want to make sure we can build on that. So that's on a high level what it meant for us. But what does it actually mean in terms of what are we going to drive? And this is just more from a marketing perspective. So what I referred to at the beginning, the product experience responsibility of Undermine. One, we're going to talk around transforming the portfolio. What exactly approach we have taken there? Secondly is how do we strengthen the innovation? But a lot of that is around in terms of something, a challenge we're facing around is the price value equation out there in the marketplace. In a competitive place, we're losing sort of where that differentiation, that story value add is. And this is where innovation has to sort of be reset in Amway to allow us to be compelling there. Thirdly, which I won't talk about really is around advancing digital and social in the space. And finally, in terms of is, we focus a lot around product lifestyle experiences. As an example, we focus around, for example, healthy eating through nutrition, cooking clubs. We have, for example, in Russia, we have focus around a mother's community. Around there, they're introducing, for example, kids' nutrition into that community. So lifestyle experiences through a community approach is something that we run. But I'm going to focus today just because of the time and the objective is around the first two points. Now, our overall compelling <coughs> proposition from an Amway perspective is all about helping people live healthier and empowered lives. And from a marketing perspective, taking that health component, We've got a wide breadth of categories, and this is sort of our overall compelling platform. So it's all about healthy beauty, healthy nutrition, and healthy home. And we really focus on bringing that health perspective right across what we call a red thread for all our brands and categories that we perform in. And we wanted to make sure that that is our starting point. So we're talking about that single story, because what we will be celebrating this year is 60 years. And in that time, we sort of started off with where we are a traditional cleaning soap company. We evolved into a more nutrition, health, and well-being company. But depending on the market, the story is sort of diluted. And it's also been misinterpreted. I talked about this morning about unethical practices. Obviously, when you work with a distributed force that is over 3 million globally, then, of course, you're not 100% controlling the message yourself. So we wanted to make sure that it was very clear. So we went out there with a very consistent platform to talk about and Amway talked around ownership of that. But taking from that, one of the challenges that we're facing is that, like any major global organization, we talk about one-size-fits-all approach. So we've got, for example, one brand in nutrition, we've got a selective product, and we said, okay, doesn't matter what type of product, sorry, market we're in, we go out there and we put it in all of the markets consistently. So we did a, what I call is a cookie-cooker approach. The challenges for us is, I mean, we understand from a marketing point of view that there is a need for differentiating markets based on their sophistication, but also consumers. Now, this is just a visual of breakfasts around the world. So this is in my region, UK, Russia, India. Now, when you talk about owning a moment, and in our nutrition space, we want to own the breakfast moment because 
our number one product is around protein and it's all around all pro protein. And when you look at breakfast, how people are eating breakfast, as a marketer, you suddenly assume, say, yeah, everybody eats breakfast the same way around the world and we can integrate our supplements into that regime. And if you want to own breakfast, first of all, you can just see originally, the way people are eating is a very different diet around the world. And that's just three examples of markets in my uh, region. I've been sort of on that drumbeat for the last four years of talking about one size fit approach will not work because we have different types of markets from a market sophistication development, but we also have it from a consumer point of view. And especially in my region, if you take like India, Russia, Eastern Europe, South Africa, these are more emerging markets. And if US and Asia, which is really what our innovation hubs are, they're really more from a developed market lens. And they're trying to develop products more for a developed market consumer, but not necessarily fit and become more relevant in terms of the consumers that, let's say, in my region. So the need for market segmentation was really the case for change over the last couple of years. And what that drove us to do is that we focused on two sort of uh, key elements through data. We said, what's the attractiveness in that market, obviously in terms of performance, but also what's the maturity in that market? And from that, what we were doing is we defined and clustered our markets into three types of markets. And this is our own internal language, obviously. We had emerging markets, we had developing markets, and obviously developed. And these are just examples of how we clustered markets into that. What we've then done is we've said, okay, based on the categories we are performing in, so in beauty, nutrition, home, we prioritize our categories to say nutrition we're going to play and win. In beauty and home, we want to just compete. Then what we said, okay, we took it down onto a SKU level, individual product level. And what we've then done is we've designed by the different types of markets. So I'm an example. I took India as a lead market for emerging market. <coughs> And we designed an assortment that was relevant for India, but we said for other emerging markets like South Africa, you could then tap into that assortment of offering. So we looked at, first of all, is the product assortment, but then from a marketing point of view, from an organization point of view, we said, what are the right set of capabilities you need to have in place in that market to ensure that the go-to-market effort is successful around that new product assortment? Are there particular gaps that we identified in terms of whether it's brand execution, maybe some skill building in a particular area like digital, social. We did the same for developing and developed. So we took a selective market. In developing case, we took Russia, and then developed, we took Italy. So we started, and we, this is just in my region, we did the same exercise across the globe. So we've ended up with sort of three cluster type of markets, which are developing, emerging, and developed. And what we started to say is, we're not going to have one size fits all. We sort of take strategic choices of investments to say, okay, we've got three types of market that in different life stages, the needs of consumers are going to be very different. And I'll just take a, a, an example is that if you take an emerging market where it's all about price sensitivity, so we started to say, okay, how do we overcome that price of entry of our products and start to introduce, for example, 10-day blister packs of product? So supplements you can take in a 10-day to really break that price of entry. But in a developed market, what they're looking for is more, okay, I want to have, let's say, two months supply, and they're really focused around that whole ethical aspect of sustainability of packaging. So we're trying to tap into the different needs of the different markets and try to start becoming more relevant but more compelling in each of those type of markets. So we took that from a portfolio design, designed based on market segmentation. But then it started to raise questions for us in terms of 
what does that mean in terms of product innovation for us? Because are we just going to still innovate for one type of market, one type of consumer, or differentiate also by type of markets? From an innovation point of view is, what we saw is we did a lot of compelling research and from 2013 to 17, we saw also a decline in our overall performance of business. And obviously when you're declining, suddenly everybody's trying to ask that question, what are the main challenges, pain points? I hear a couple of examples of what we continuously heard from consumers and distributors is there was a financial aspect in terms of price value equation of your product brand is weaker in certain markets. We've got currency devaluation, which meant that obviously we're importing products. The cost of goods meant that from a profitability point of view, we were pushing the price up and we're passing that on to consumers. But more importantly is that when you talk about innovation, speed to market, we had, for example, our cosmetic line. It took us 36 months to bring something into a market where trends are happening on a seasonal basis twice a year, as an example. But more importantly, what's compelling is where we started in 1959 as an organization, we really talked about winning from a differentiation point of view. It's understand our purpose and really drive that as a DNA through our own. And we sort of lost our way. And when we started to talk about price value being weaker, we looked at, okay, the competitive landscape has changed. Consumer preferences have changed. But how much have we evolved in that space? And overall, our story, what we thought was compelling maybe 10, 20 years ago, is no longer as relevant as we thought in all markets. So we took that. And then what we've been just doing right now is coming up with an innovation model. Um, what we wanted to do is, from a global perspective that I'm participating, and it was jointly owned between research and development and marketing. And the crucial thing was, historically in Amway, it was always led by research and development. And what we wanted to make sure is that marketing has a compelling voice at the table, but also a decision right. So it's actually co-ownership between the CMO on an enterprise level and the research development enterprise owner. So we took this in terms of, okay, and we're really actually finishing off our discovery work, but I just want to just share a number of outcomes that are coming out of that process right now, strategically, is having ourselves to re-pivot. First of all is that when we talk about the lack of differentiation, we started to look at it by categories and asked ourselves the question is, you can go from just sustaining to being in business to innovating or truly being disruptive. And we asked ourselves is, when we talk about differentiation, does that mean we want to be disruptive anywhere and everywhere? And the answer was not. In nutrition and health, specifically around the wellness piece, that's where we want to win. So therefore, let's ensure that we are disrupting there. Whereas, for example, in the home household business, we just want to make sure we're sustaining because we're only going to be competing there. The other expectation we have, especially with our district and consumers who operate within this channel industry, is what you bring to the market as Amway. <coughs> Is it new to the world or is it actually just new to Amway? And we've struggled a lot where we've always said it's got to be first and best and only for Amway. And obviously trying to compete in that space requires obviously a lot of capability, investment, but also obviously the competition obviously is much more strife now. So we started to ask the question also is, is it going to be new to Amway in specific subcategories? So for example, in our nutrition space, we focus around energy and we say, well, that's going to be new to Amway, but it's not necessarily new in terms of the industry bringing something new to the world. However, in the core supplements, in terms of vitamin dietary supplementation, we say we're going to bring something new to the world. So that's where we're trying to make those strategic choices from the level of differentiation. The other crucial thing is from a capability point of view is 
95% of everything we do, we actually develop in-house and make in-house. And we obviously leverage that whole element of what I call C to supplement. In beauty, we call it C to skin. So we want to make sure the traceability is there because that's our factor. The challenge is to do that obviously means operationally, obviously, it makes us slow. So what we want to make sure is how we become more agile. So we started to look at, okay, where does it make sense that we buy, but where does it make sense we develop? So, for example, in the household cleaning sector and certain parts of cosmetics, we're willing to actually go outside and partner with the right suppliers based on, obviously, a certain framework and say, okay, we'll go and buy and tap into that cavity. But in the nutrition space, we're still going to continuously develop on our own farms and follow that whole process. When we looked at capabilities, tradition, like I said, is, is really just being in-house. We are now very openly exploring in terms of strategic partnerships, whether it's from a science point of view or looking at the whole supply chain, or even merger acquisitions. So we're really trying to open ourselves up to say, if we really want to ensure that we remain competitive, not just for the next few years, but like our owners, which are still the family owners, are saying the next 60 years, 100 years beyond, we need to explore differently how we've done the business before, and don't let that just dictate the way we want to do the business tomorrow. In terms of launch cadence, to capitalize on trends, by having that balance between buying and developing, we started to ensure that, okay, we are going to be quicker to the marketplace. And part of that is when we looked at a development process, like I said, is it's around people, it's around processes and around capabilities. But more importantly, it's the culture that we work. We're a huge oil tanker that takes time to move. And I use the example of we introduce cosmetics into the marketplace that we think is on trend at the start of the ideation. But by the time we come in marketplace, it's off trend because it takes us 24, 36 months. By changing that process, we've already cut around 50% of the time to market just by addressing certain elements of the end-to-end -end process within that. And finally is that I talked about that different types of markets, emerging, developing, and uh, developed. We start to ask questions to ourselves is, are we just going to produce everything in the US and that becomes our sort of spark for innovation? Or do we need to look around the globe? And what we're now doing is we're actually going to set up innovation hubs. So, for example, in key locations like China, in India, in US, in Korea, where we look at the most important capability that exists. So in Korea, it's all around care beauty as an example. And we're trying to say, okay, if that's where the trend is starting, let's make sure we've got that innovation capability established there. And then we've got it from a global perspective. We can then bring all that learning and insights to a central place, which is our global headquarters, and then go back out into the regions and start to develop that. So this is sort of how we start to shape our innovation design to reflect that portfolio design strategy by the different types of markets. And that's really going to help us ensure that we are able to not just compete, but also to win. So I've talked about portfolio, talk about innovation. And what I just briefly want to talk about is that as marketed and our role is, of course, we're going to wait for the next new product that's going to come, and that takes time. But we still obviously have a breadth of portfolio. We still obviously have certain KPIs to deliver. How can we influence that whole distributed customer experience in the way we work still today? And it's really focused around something I call execution excellence. And the example I want to just show here is that something that's been out there, but it was very new to Amway, is something we call leader-based marketing around account-based marketing, because we call our distributors leaders. They're leading in terms of driving the Amway business, managing a community of customers and other distributors. What I just wanted to share for you is that we took a product launch, which was a vitamin C, and I'll just use an example. We put it in a market A and just did the normal, let's say, standard go-to-market activities. But we did the same product launch in a different market, 
but we actually changed in terms of the go-to-market activities. And we saw a significant change in terms of the impact. And the reason the impact was changed is that the second market, the B market, really capitalizing what we call commercial innovation, really tried to find a compelling story. In this case, it's all about that the vitamin C release was over an eight-hour technology. And it was very compelling in that market. And therefore, they'd really tapped into that one specific benefit and drove all their go-to-market effort around that. And what we saw was that the results, if you just compare, it was over 130% increase versus previous year, because it was an existing product. So it takes an existing product, what we call in the evolutionary category, but the impact was such significant. And then, you know, obviously my role was to understand, okay, what really worked? And obviously typical marketers, we say, well, everything I did really was compelling, <laughs> you know. But I challenged, I said, you know, working closely with the distributors to ask them what was really important. And what it came down to was really two key things they talked about. First of all, they said that the market B really worked closely with the distributor force, so that leader-based marketing, so the account base, really worked with the strategic accounts. But what they really did well with them is, because you've got the brand owner of the nutrition who said, well, my brand is going to be most important this month and this launch. But what they weren't doing, they were not showing that they're actually competing against the other categories that are also competing for the time of that uh, account. And what we did is we orchestrated the calendar. And what that means is we take a 12-month calendar and then we together as a brand group sit there and work with the strategic account and say, okay, month one, what can we do for nutrition? And if nutrition has got what we call a feature launch in this case, it's going to be a high-impact focused launch, we make sure that that space is given to them in that account. And then we say to the beauty team, you've got a major launch, but don't put it in that first month because you're going to compete against the nutrition. So just by reorchestrating the whole calendar, it allowed more focus for our accounts to say, okay, I'm very clear what I'm going to focus on this month. And in that market, then, that relationship between the account management and orchestrating calendar saw that exceptional results. So where we focus a lot now is how we can strengthen this capability around account-based marketing. We are still in the infancy of learning around that and in terms of the skills, the capabilities, but also it's a culture change for us. It's looking at distributor-consumer experience and saying, historically, what was sort of put over the fence from marketing to sales, sales and trade would work with the distributors and the distributors probably would go out and engage with customers. We're saying as brand stewards, we need to make sure we own that process. And meaning now that process is make sure we own in the moments through that, if you want to make sure we go to the customer, we go through the distributor, ensure that it is top of mind in this case, a particular launch, a particular activity, a campaign. But we want to make sure we've got that partnership. And when we've got that strength of that partnership, we are now starting to see compelling results happening because it's sort of we've both got a skin in the game at the moment in there. So that's just helping everyone understand in terms of the execution excellence. So just really to just summarize um, on a high level is, what we've taken strategically is we've prioritized which categories we're going to win or compete, because we've got a huge breadth of portfolio. We've then defined a very clear segment approach of different types of market based on maturity and consumer sophistication. And then finally, we said, OK, how do we go into that market? Also, it's going to be very different. However, we've got a standard set of, let's say, tools available to everybody. But it's down to then the sales and marketing group in those different markets, working with the different accounts to ensure that success. So what we're around now is around this distributor customer experience. From a marketing lens, it's about portfolio, it's about innovation, and it's about execution. And in center, in the end, yes, it's all about 
driving the right performance growth, the right metrics around the brand equity. But I think right now we are sort of that infancy stage of repivoting ourselves to really ensure that we can be more successful, but ultimately is not just meeting, but exceeding consumer expectations around that. Now, this just touches from a marketing point of view. We're trying to address all the other touch points when it comes to an experience journey, but this is really what I just wanted to share with yourselves today. So let me just open it up in terms of any questions, anything I've shared in terms of anything anyone wants to me to clarify. You mentioned about the um, innovation cycle and some of your markets being so fast on trends and your innovation cycle being slower. Um, I can't remember what stat you gave about how much you've shrunk that innovation cycle, but it still sounded like it might be slower than the trends in market. I wonder how you... Yeah so, yeah, so basically we've reduced an average time to market from 36 months to around 18 months. Now that's average. Depending on the development of certain products is higher. In some cases we're as quick as nine months. Especially, give an example, is that if you want to be in the areas of trends such as like beauty cosmetics, you've got to be on that cycle of colour collections twice a year. And the main change we benchmarked, we actually brought BCG into the organisation to help us understand what's out there in terms of the different industry benchmark, but also in the type of categories we're playing. And by mirroring that is that we're actually now, what we were able to do is take a lot of, let's say, waste time where it's that. We're a very collaborative culture. And the part of the challenge was decisions actually were not being made because it was very centre-driven. And then when you've got different types of market, in the early process, we all marketers were raising our hands, yeah, yeah, I'm on board. And by the time you got to the detail of the product, the price position and so forth, suddenly there's somebody from India, from Russia, from Korea saying, hold on, this is not working. So by looking at that, the decision making, that governance process, we had significant change. But of course, we've also put some process improvements. And also we've tried to ensure technology is helping that because a lot of our documentation was also driven through a manual process and sharing, and that obviously wasted time. So introducing technology into that space for that process enabled us to be obviously reducing time. Um, it still is a huge learning curve. We think we can be better, but just reducing it by 50% has been a significant turnaround from where we were. Okay. Any other question, comment? Did you go into any further sub-segmentation than um, you said like market area and then country? Did you go down any further in the country? Yeah, we did. So if you take certain markets like China, but especially in my region, you've got India and Russia, huge geography, and, but within the market, it's very diverse. So if I take an example out of India, there's a very clear north, east, south, west divide there. So when we took that criteria in terms of market potential, maturity, and when we assessed it on a macro level, yeah, it made sense. But then when we started to go on a micro level, we suddenly saw clear, distinct differences in consumer preference and behaviour. So yes, I, we didn't do it on a UK level. We did it actually in Germany and Italy. And again, Northern Italy, Southern Italy, again, some differences. The big challenge is when you take it on a micro level, there are those differences, but you've got to start to make some commercial decisions in terms of how far and where can you compete and truly go for. But that ultimately allows you to take that insight and knowledge and translate that in terms of, okay, what strategic choices you're willing to make and not make. The account-based marketing is really happening on that sort of micro level, and the ex that's where the execution is important. But on a macro level, it's more in terms of that innovation development of that product.
Thanks for joining us this week on Virtual Roundtables Live. Make sure to visit our website www.virtualroundtables.com to learn more about upcoming webinars and events.